seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. We are so grateful for his presence, for his goodness, his mercy upon us. I believe it's the opening chapter of the book of Hebrews that says he was given a name that is greater than that of angels. Philippians 2 says every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. Ephesians 1 says that his name is above every other name. Hallelujah. Have me thankful for the name of Jesus. Amen. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Uh, as as uh, we begin this morning, we're in number eight of the installment of um, Nehemiah, a series called Arise and Build, and I want to give you a quick a little report uh, briefly this morning before we do that. Uh, that is that the, the uh, engineering portion of our architectural process was supposed to have been completed this last week, and so I should be hearing something from our architects this next week. We'll get a full set of plans, go back to the bank. Um, as you know, we had to do a little bit of massaging of some square footage because there was only so much value engineering we could, we could pull down $2 million over budget. <coughs> and so, pardon me, um, we've completed that process uh, right now looking at potentially. So let's, everybody say potentially. Okay, so we're looking at potentially, this is probably a late May groundbreaking first week of June, something like that. So we're excited about that. The Flint Co. will let, the, let, let it back out to the subs again for another round of bidding since we have basically a new, a different building than what we started out with. And um, get those things back and we'll be giving you a specific date in which we'll be doing that. Excited about that. All right. Um, this morning we're in number eight in the book of Nehemiah. The, the message is called, It's Time to Celebrate. I remember probably 79 graduating year of high school. Was it cool in the gang? Was celebrate good times. Come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I guess I, that's some old music for me because I'm, I'm one of those 50-somethings. But I really wish somebody would kind of sanctify that and kind of bring it on in so we could kind of slightly adjust the words and Make that a, a song we could sing in here, but some of you are going, no, seriously, please don't do that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. I'll let you stay seated. No, 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 I, I'm going to change my mind. Let's stand up with, for one verse. Let's get this together. One verse. Here we go. One verse. I don't know what, how, how this does to you, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, all this rain and the dust, I've like had allergies, and so I'm, I'm, I'm a little cloudy, so pray for me today just in uh, being able to articulate and get this, get this message out. I'm excited about it. Let's read together. Then I, re I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. Anything that you do, you must recognize that it's going to take the grace of God. If it's not bigger than you, then your dream is too small. It may be a good idea, but it's not a God idea. And so as we attempt to take the Word of God and move into this community. But I want you to recognize this morning as we look at this text, God has sent me here as an Ezra to bring proper placement and worship of God among the people of God, but you guys are the Nehemiahs. Look at your neighbor and say, you're Nehemiah. So God has, is giving you ideas, visions, dreams, businesses, some of you have an entrepreneurial spirit, you want to build something, and so this is 
This is what you must recognize. It's going to take the grace of God to accomplish something. God will always give you a dream that is bigger than you can do by yourself. It's going to take the help of others, and it's going to take the grace of God. Somebody say amen. So God of heaven will make us what? And we, his servants, will do what? We'll rise and build. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for this time together in this service. Thank you, Lord, that you're the God of all the seasons. Lord, when it's the desert and we are dry. Lord, uh, this morning, even when it's, we've, we've been hit with a deluge, Lord, we just, uh, we're, we're thankful that you're God, you're, you're good. Lord, bless the families. We, Lord, I read this morning of those who had lost the lives of loved ones in Arkansas and Missouri and Texas, and I just pray for those families right now that you comfort them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the church of Jesus Christ arise in those communities and minister to those families, I pray. God, we look to you today that as you've called us, each and every one in this room, to be comforted with Yahweh, that's what Nehemiah means, to, to be a people who live out that name, to walk in the comfort of God, Lord, that we would be comforters in this community that we would be the hands and feet and do the work of the Holy Spirit. We ask you today as we submit our hearts to you that you would give us clear vision. God, I acknowledge before you and everyone listening that I, apart from you, I'm nothing. I know that. I ask you today that you get up in the middle of this. Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. Speak to our hearts. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we might perceive and understand and know what you've called us to do and be. In Jesus' name I pray. We'll give you all the glory and all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. The text that I'm going to read from this morning will probably give you a little bit of understanding, a little bit of scriptural substantiation. It is one of the numerous locations that we would use to point to as to why we stand up to read the Word. This location is in Nehemiah 8. It's a great chapter. It's, it's a relatively short chapter. It's only 18 verses. Now, we're not going to get them all at once in one punch. We're going to get them through the three points this morning. And uh, unlike the chapter directly in front of it, chapter 7 had 64 verses, and it was extremely intense with a lot of genealogy and a lot of names. Uh, we, we just grabbed, a, sort of picked about three that were critical in that last week. But this week, I want you to see the context of this. So as we jump in... We are looking today, the title of the message is called, It's Time to Celebrate. Everybody say, It's Time to Celebrate. Now, that's going to make some sense in a little bit, uh, relative to or, or in relationship to the work that Jesus Christ has already finished. And so, if, if, if you've been coming to Victory for a while, you know that I preach and teach from a historical redemptive perspective. I open the Word and we look back to the Old Covenant with the lenses. We look through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden the Old becomes a whole new book because we see Christ all over the Old Testament. The Old is in the New revealed. The New is in the Old concealed. Now let me, get, let me, let me reacclimate, recalibrate here because this is your left and your right. So let me do it this way. Looking sort of in a chronological way, Old Testament, New Testament, in terms of a linear progression. Okay, we, we got that from our Judeo-Christian heritage and an understanding of God beginning something with a purpose and then there is a progression toward a consummation, toward, toward, a, toward, a, toward a completion of an understanding of what God's purpose was for. 
So looking at the Old Testament, we have foreshadowed pictures. We have prophetic symbols. We have types. We have shadows. All of those are sort of biblical interpretive words that are speaking to something that is yet to come. All of the promises of God are wrapped up in one individual. Romans 15 says all of the promises of God to the patriarchs are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The mathematical probability of it being anybody else besides Jesus is an astronomical number that we can't even keep up with. We're talking about to the hundreds of powers in terms of when this one came, the period in which he lived, who was going to be ruling, the, the, the situation of the political powers, the, the town in which he was born, the way he died, all of these over 300 prophecies pointing to Jesus Christ and his life and his ministry are all fulfilled in this God-man who came and has radically changed history. The hinge point of history is this three-day, two bookends, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, And so everything that I preach to you is all about making Jesus bigger. Because if you can see Jesus bigger in your life, it will change your life. If you can see that Jesus is uh, very relevant to your life today and not just something that... Uh, was a comfort for granny, but uh, is, is very real and moving and active and involved in your life and what you're doing and cares about what you're concerned about, then it will radically change your life. And so when I preach from a historical redemptive perspective, I'm showing you what happened in time in a specific geographical, political chronological time, location, but that I'm also showing you that that's pointing to something that's yet to be fulfilled in Christ and in the people, the body of Christ, called the church. They have the natural historical event taking place. We see the spiritual application, the fulfillment in our lives. Okay, Now, it's, that's going to make sense in just a little bit, but today I want to say one more time, it's time to celebrate. And this is the one thing that I want you to understand. Now, if you look at this, this one thing, it's a, it's a little bit circular, and I do that on purpose. But let's just read it, let's analyze it, and come back and talk about it. Let's say it together. Here we go. Work that is finished well produces celebration that recognizes God's empowering grace to do the work. That's kind of a mouthful, but let's think about it. When we are able to finish something well, it evokes a response out of the fulfillment that comes when I have finished it, I just celebrate going, there's no way I could have gotten that done by myself. It took the empowering grace of God to get it done. Okay? So say it with me one more time. Work that is finished well produces celebration that recognizes God's great empowering grace to do the work. Pray for me. I'm telling you, I'm a little bit not quite connected today. So just, this may be one of those days, like the old preacher said, he got his tongue wrapped around his eye teeth and he couldn't see what he was saying. It's a bad, bad preacher joke. <laughs> work that is finished well produces a celebration, a recognition that it was God's grace in the first place that gave me the ability, that empowered me to do the work. Okay, uh, Philippians 2 says that we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But read the next verse. It says, For it is God who works in you, both to do and will of His good pleasure. And it's interesting that my Methodist brothers and sisters will preach the work out your own salvation, and my Baptist brothers and sisters will preach, but it's God who works in you. 
And it's kind of like Forrest Gump said, I think it's both. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan and Mama said, and, you know, I think it's both. Because we work out what God works in. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? God works it in you. He gives you the grace. He gives you the empowerment, the motivation, the design, the vision, the dream, the idea, the, the, the breath in your body to be able to get up and get something done. And then you actually get up and get something done and start going and doing, recognizing that when you finish it, it's going to produce, my, 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 a celebration that recognizes that it was the empowering grace of God that gave you the ability to do the work in the first place. I'll preach, hallelujah. And I'll tell you, if this is a good message today, it'll be because the Holy Ghost holy. It's not because anything in my ability. All right, number one, let's jump into our text this morning. Build a culture that honors the Lord. Build a culture that honors the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. We've seen 52 days elapse. We've seen rubble and chaos and disorder become a collected wall. We've seen people disjointed all of a sudden become functioning parts of a collective body that carried out a vision to its completion. And so they finished it in the face of opposition that was unrelenting. And in those moments, they chose to not react but to respond through the grace of God and continue to pray and even when the opposition would mount with tremendous degree of, of discouragement and attempting to distract and trying to intimidate and cause to sin, if you remember a little bit from last week's message, the Bible says Nehemiah would yet continue to do the work with greater determination. And have you, how many of you ever been in a moment like that? Where, where you, you, just, you, just, you just have to back up and you just have to know that, that, that what's carrying you right now isn't your own unction. It isn't your own uh, determination or ability. But something has settled down on you, maybe it's coming up from the inside of you, that, that is the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit that causes you to get up out of the bed when you don't feel like getting up out of the bed. And go back into the office when, when you have been opposed by those uh, in the, the powers that be or, or in the community or the, the, the various things that you've attempted to do and maybe, the, maybe it's not somebody out there because we want to always remember that we don't war against flesh and blood but it's literally against spiritual dimensions, principalities, powers. A lot of times it's thoughts that we have to deal with. It, it's just wrestling down sometimes. Um, I hate to say it this way because it's kind of a Hollywood kind of cliche but we have to wrestle down our own demons so to speak. The, the, the things that haunt us, the things that, 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 that the voices that recur, that tell you uh, and, and that weaken you, that intimidate you, that, in, that discourage you. And it's in those moments where we have to find a place where we say, you know what, God, I'm going to, I'm going to take a step to honor you. We have to build a culture that honors the Lord. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. Now, this is not the hotel in Washington. This is not, you know, the long, hard summer that all the teenagers, young kids, despised because there was nothing on TV except Senator Sam Irvin from Georgia. If you, those of you that were alive back then, you remember with all of those congressional hearings, 
But the water gate is obvious. It's a place where there is a, a connection, a flow. There is probably a tributary, a stream. It is a place where the people are able to receive um, uh, what is necessary to live. You, you have to have water to be able to survive, not only to clean yourself for hygiene, but to cook with, to satisfy thirst. Water is critical, and the Bible uses water specifically to depict the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5 says that Christ presents a bride that is without spot or wrinkle who has been washed by the water of the word. Everybody say the water of the word. And, and so when we look to the word, when we open the word of the Lord this morning, we, we, are, we are taking a drink. Jesus said out of your bellies, John 7, 37, shall flow, Greek word reo, we get our English word rhetoric from it. Out of your bellies shall reo, shall flow rivers, streams of living water. Now we're not talking about the new creation man in the kingdom of God is going to have a gusher at his side. Don't be a wooden literalist. Don't be an idiot. There are a few of those around here. We call them hyper-fundamentalists where they just determine that they're going to interpret every stinking last thing in the Bible literally and I want to go, seriously? When we interpret things literally, it means that we take them at their literary understanding. Literally doesn't mean it's a wooden, it has to be seven heads coming out with crowns and ten horns and all this kind of stuff coming. No, that's a symbolic language in the book of Revelation. It is, it's allegorical. There's an analogy there. Come uh, hello, Captain Obvious. But do you know that there are little folks around that'll tell you, oh no, no, that's that's literal. That's and so Jesus said, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The belly, I believe, is the, the place, the seat of the spirit, your conscience. Proverbs 20, 27 says that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. And so when I talk about hearing in the spirit. It's not out here, but I hear it down inside here. Are you hearing me? And so Jesus said in John 7, 37, Out of your bellies shall reo, rhetoric, faith-filled words. You're going to speak. You're going you're to have a drink of water that's going to satisfy the spiritual thirst of people when you learn to release the water gate in your own life. Come on, somebody. When you, when you learn to share your testimony and what the Lord has done, Philemon, that little bitty one-chapter book before Hebrews, says that the communication of your faith may become more effective by acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. In other words, you don't have to know Greek and Hebrew words. You don't have to be able to quote chapters of the Bible. All you need to do is just say, look what the Lord's done in my life. Come on, somebody. Everybody, everybody has a water gate. Everybody has an opportunity to be able to, 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 to pour uh, nourishment and, and, and quench the thirst of people in this dry community, in the desert in which we live, in the Delta, if we'll just recognize what these things give to us in terms of the... Now, it's not that you have to understand Nehemiah. You wouldn't stop somebody on the second aisle in Kroger and try to tell them about the water gate in Nehemiah. No, you just open your heart, open the floodgate, and just say, man, God is so good to me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Right. Again, I'm preaching from a historical, redemptive perspective of scripture and so we can see that they've gathered at the water gate and this is going to be important because they ask Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given for Israel to obey now I started to bring my, my leather bound 
copy. I mean, I've got dozens of them, but the, the one that I've been reading out of lately to the, to the, and to read and open it for the dramatic effect from what you're going to hear in the Scripture. But I, when I did it this morning, I thought, wait a minute, no, that's the ESV, and I'm using the NLT here, which is a little different translation. Um, and so well, I don't have a, a beautiful Bible to open. By the way, that wasn't what it looked like 2,500 years ago anyhow. Somebody say amen. You know, why is it that we get stuck on it? What we've got now is really probably about the last 150 years or so. You know, there were great big huge books chained to pulpits in the Roman Empire and the Roman Catholic Church and only the priests could read them. And, and this, this whole thing has evolved and changed and therefore we shouldn't ever get to the place where we think the way Granny did it is the only way that we should ever do church. Come on, somebody. All right? All right, let's move on. They asked Ezra the scribe. Here we go. So on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law. Everybody say the book of the law. Now, my understanding currently, and, and most theological uh, commentators will tell you that this is the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomos. Namos means law. Deutero means two. This is the second time Moses gave the law of God for the preparation of a generation of people who had been born in the wilderness. They hadn't, they hadn't been born in Egypt. They were born in the wilderness because the whole generation that came out died, remember? They wandered 40 years every year for a day in which they had gone in to spy out the land and came back with an evil report and God said, none of you are going in. Only two went in, which were Joshua and Caleb. And so everybody that Moses is standing in front of 40 years later is a bunch of desert babies. They're a bunch of wilderness children. And so Moses says, I got to make sure you guys are discipled in the ways of the Lord before you go in because if you're not prepared, these giants that are in this promised land are going to eat your lunch. And so Deutero, twice, the second time he gave the law of God. Ten commandments are found in Exodus 20. They're found the second time in Deuteronomy 5. Okay, So Deuteronomy, this is the book of the law. Ezra the priest brought... The book of Deuteronomy, the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and the women and all the children old enough to understand. I, I, I want to stop and just say something quickly to that. Don't think your kids, if, if, if they can sit up at the table and eat dinner with you, they're not so young that they can't hear you talk about the things of the Lord because they'll begin to pick up on it. So everybody that was out there was old enough to understand, and I'm just assuming, I'm thinking that's probably about six years and up, okay? They, they, they've got the little ones not around, but they've got all of them that are old enough because they're going to take some time. They're going to read through the whole book of the law. Everybody like your neighbor to say a long service. Longer than even Pastor Michael preaches. <laughs> all of those that were old enough to understand, go ahead, number two. Uh, three, he faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand all the people listened closely to the book of the law. We want to build a culture. We've been actively building a culture in Victory Church that honors the word of the Lord. We want to, we want to, give, we want to give reference to it, and reverence is what I meant to say. We want to give it first place. We want to give it final authority. In our lives. So they listened closely to the book of the law. Quickly, number four, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. So this is a very special event. They've built the wall. They're celebrating. They've come together to read the word because there's a principle that we learned several weeks ago. You've got to remember, persistence will get you to the finish line, but consistency will keep you enjoying the fruits of that finished work. Come on, somebody. And so they realize... 
We've been persistent in 52 days, and the grace of God has brought us to this point, but now we need to be careful to honor the Lord. We want to build a culture that honors the word of the Lord. Now, this is not just about Old Testament Israel in 440 B.C. This is about your family. This is about your business. Now, this doesn't mean you're preachy or hyper-religious, but it just means that you honor God. When it's time to honor God in a timely manner, doesn't mean that you're sitting around in, in every night making the kids sit down for an hour-long Bible study. I mean, that's not what we're talking about. But at the, your family dinners, you do have those, don't you? Where you sit down at the table together. Every family ought to have at least one or two a week where you sit down and nobody just digs in voraciously starts eating. You wait and dad, if there is one there, Mom and dad together. Mom, if there is, there's not a dad in the house, you want some spiritual authority to open up and pray. God, thank you for blessing this family. Build a culture in your family, in your business, in your home that honors the Lord, that puts God first. Because I promise you, uh, it, it's not just looking children in the face and pointing a finger at them, but it's by your example that they see what you do day in, day out, day in, day out, year after year. Now listen, some of you go, well, you know what, I'm, I'm old now and I've, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I've come to Christ later in life. Well, be the grandfather figure in some grandbabies' lives then. You can start right now. I, I, I remember in, in, in college, there was a friend of mine who was a teller at Mercantile Bank in Jonesboro, Arkansas, when I was a student at Arkansas State University. He's a doctor now. And for a season, he was working in the bank just as kind of an odd job and just to earn a little bit of money in between uh, semesters. And um, he had a little sign up there that he had made and put on the, the edge of the, the little, the way the, the, the teller office, you know, the thing was up, sort of built up high. And he would turn it around toward the people and it said, you can start right now. Now think about that. Everything that you wish you had done, that you keep putting off because you haven't done it, if you'll just go ahead and take the first step, the first step's the hardest step, the first step uh, to, to actually establishing a prayer life between you and your wife. You, you know, it's not about having to quote a bunch of scripture, but it's just about saying, hey, what do we need to pray for, babe? And just stop and listen, because once she's said what's on her heart and you've said what's on your heart, you've basically already prayed. You've said it out loud. And so you just take a second and go, God, these things that are on our heart, we lift them to you. And you begin to do that. You bless and lead your spouse, your wife. You, you become a priest in the home. Husbands, you become men of God in the home. And God starts blessing and pouring out His favor on your house because you're building a culture that honors God. And you pray for your kids. I, 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 I'm after mine all the time. I, I'm sending them texts going, Hey, I'm praying for you. Just Man, you know, just trust God. Drew was trying to close this great big deal, and he said, Dad, pray. And, and I love that. I love that because he believes in the power of prayer, and he believes that his daddy can pray and touch God, and I love that. And, and, and so somebody said, yeah, but you've been doing it for a long time. Well, guess what? You can start right now. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you can start right now. So they got up on a big wooden platform made for the occasion, and all of these people, and I'm going to read those names. Go on. I'm not even going to try. And the same thing there. All right, verse 5. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they rose to their feet. So he stands up and he opens this, probably a scroll that they're calling the book. So he rolls it out and the people all stand up. Now, do you know how long they had to stand for him to read about 33 chapters out of the book of Deuteronomy? 
I'm figuring it probably took a couple of hours. And what the scripture says from early morning until noon. Now let's, let's see what they did here. Verse 6. It says, Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Come on, do it, let's do it. Amen. Amen. I love it. They chanted, Amen. Amen. Amen is not just a nice religious word. What does Amen mean? So be it. So when they were saying this, they were agreeing. What you're saying, we agree. So be it. Let it be done in our hearts. It's what Mary said when the angel visited her, young 15-year-old virgin. He says, the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And he, she says, how can this be since I don't know a man? I've never known a man. And he says, baby, honey, that's exactly because that man ain't going to have anything to do with this. This is going to be a God thing. And so she finally said, let it be unto me according to your word. She basically said, amen. She said, so be it. Let it come. Let it, let it be what you've said. Let this happen in my life. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not gearing up with some kind of lather trying to beg God because God is not some kind of um, resistant uh, parent who is unwilling to share. No, He's a benevolent God who's good all the time. He just wants to talk to you. He wants you to talk to Him. And when you're saying, when you're praying, all you're doing is just saying, God, let your will be done. Amen. So be it. Be it according to your word in my life, oh God. Let's look. They lifted their hands. See, they were charismatic folk. They were Pentecostal back then. They bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Man, these folks are all over the place. They're, they're, they're intense. They're, 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 they are, they're not just looking like a, I, know, I won't say the denominational name, but they're not just like a couple of deacons in the back look like they're mad. They're, they're, they're chanting, amen, amen. They're lifting their hands in worship to God. They're laying prostrate on the ground before the Lord, faces to the ground. How many of you would like it if, if the worship leader said, okay, everybody, push your chair out of the way. Don't want you to get on, let your cheek touch the ground. That's how we're going to worship this morning. Uh, we might not have a couple of visitors back the next Sunday. But that's what they did in the Bible. I mean, if after all, it's all about what we read in this book. Anyway, let me move on. Okay, here we go. Uh, there's all those bunch of names again. Um, down to the bottom. I'm not going to waste your time trying to cripply hobble through that mess. Then in, they instructed. Look at it. The Levites, dash, pick up at the dash again. Then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. It's not just enough to preach but we have to teach people how to apply what we're getting excited about in here. We, we, we need, we got folks in equip. You, you, you feel like you've got a gift on your life to be able to help equip folk. Then get involved in our leadership training program here at Victory. Number eight, let's move on. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. This is what is so important in, in clearly delivering the Word of God so that people catch a vision, so that, so that the scales drop off of their eyes, so that all the unnecessary religious baggage gets unpacked, all the Bible Belt drama, all the pharisaical, holier-than-thou, look-down-your-nose, churchianity that we need to unpack and go very simply, uh, all this religious stuff is just holding me down. I need to know Jesus. Is He alive in my heart? Is He working in my life? Somebody say amen. Come on. 
They clearly explained the meaning, helping the people understand the passage. This is what we're here to do. This is why I go to great extremes sometimes, maybe even pushing the edge, occasionally offending a Pharisee, just trying to help you understand what this amazing Word of God is all about. Because it's not about, and even it's that, it's, we can't glorify the book and intellectually embrace a book. You have to have a living experiential relationship with the one the book's been written about. His name is Jesus. Come on, somebody. And so I want you to see this morning that as we look at this, uh, that a couple of things here very quickly. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children, to our children's children, so that we may do all of the words according to this law. Now, I just want to say this to you. Some of you are, are new in the faith, and you're young, and you're excited, and you're hungry, and you're just chomping at the bit. And I want to tell you right now, if your heart is right with God, and you're in the Word on a regular basis, you don't have to worry about what you don't know. Let me help some of you get set free. You do not have to worry about what you do not know yet because the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you. You start to, to tromp off. You start to kind of wander off into the weeds. Guess what? You have a GPS tracking system on the inside of you called the Holy Ghost that will go eh, 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 off course, recalculating, recalculating. And He will bring you back. All right? Are you following? So when we read the Revelation, you need to understand, have the word that you know that God gave for the purpose of obedience. It's not just a nice thing you put on the shelf or you put in a shadow box or you, ha you know, have up in some place of honor in your house, but you actually believe it and you actually pray it and you actually live it on a daily basis in front of your children and in front of your family. Somebody say amen. The Word of God and the worship of the people, they responded dramatically because they were excited to hear the Word. They knew they were persistent to see the wall get built. Now they needed to become consistent in how they lived because God had restored security, but now to maintain security, they needed to live according to the Word. They needed to build a culture that honored the Lord. Point number two, the source of your strength. I love this. Let's jump in quickly. Nehemiah the governor, isn't that interesting? Everybody say, Nehemiah the governor. Now remember, he was the cupbearer who became the builder. Now he's become the governor. Now, I, you, some of you who are, are really wrestling with the question of why you don't know what your purpose is in life, and, and the reason is is because you're inactive. You're not moving. Uh, was somebody told, I believe Dr. Billy Graham told someone some, one time, he said, God cannot alter the direction of a car that's not moving. You have to start moving and then you can change the direction. Get up and start moving. Take a step of faith. Step out. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He became a builder and then he became a governor. And let me just show you. This is a picture of Jesus who was the cupbearer to the Father in the heavenly realms. And he left where he was with all authority, all the resources, all the executive ability. And he came down to build into your life the kingdom of God. And then once it's built, he becomes the governor. Everybody say he's the Lord. Come on, somebody. And so that's the picture of Jesus right there. That's the redemptive part of the historical redemptive understanding of the word. So Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. 
For today is sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Now think about this. When, when you have gone so long that you have completely been disconnected from the ways of God. Oh, maybe you've been around religion, but, but I, have, I have people come to one of our services once in a while and they say, you know what, I have never been to church like this where I can just stand and I just feel the presence of God and I just know my heart burns on the inside of me. And, and, and so many times they'll just be moved in a very deep kind of way and that's the right response. They're weeping before God because the law of the Lord is so clear, it's so plain and the law is making demands. There are righteous requirements of the law of the Lord. And they realize that if they're obedient to it, they'll have blessings. But they realize also that if they are disobedient to it, there will be curses. And so they're letting the weight, the full impact of the demands of a heavenly Father that loves them indescribably, but also has for them a whole life and a way of holiness that they've never been living before. Not in their lives, not in their generation. They've never been taught because they're just coming back to it. It's just being restored. They're just understanding that God needs to be the center because all of a sudden out of the blue, God raised up this dude called Ezra who started preaching the importance of right worship and putting God at the center of your life. The next thing we know, here comes this dude, Nehemiah, who wants to help us rebuild the wall and the community starts changing. All these new ideas come and folks start working together that have never worked together before. and They actually get it done in 52 days. And the people are so moved by the reading of the Word of God that they're literally lying on the ground on their faces, weeping and crying out to God. And, and Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites all said, No, 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 no. This day is a sacred day. I, we, we understand that your response to the Word of God is just one of brokenness because none of us has the ability to keep it or to fulfill it. The law has demands and makes demands and righteous requirements that none of us has the ability to fulfill. But I want you to see, we're going to see an Old Testament picture of Jesus about to appear. Look at what happens. And Nehemiah continued and said, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. The ESV says sweet wine. And share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. King James says, You've been eating the fat and drinking the sweet. He says, I want you to send portions for them who have nothing prepared. Now this, this is the place that God has called Victory Church in this community. Not just to be a place where we can go and get built up and figure out how we can live our best life now. And we can be blessed and we can be prosperous and we can have health and we can raise champions as kids and, and, and we can help our, our, our families and, and just build kind of an us for and no more mentality. There are people all around us that are desperate in need who have nothing prepared for them. And God says in these moments, I want you to open the storehouses out of your generous spirit, out of your generosity, and I want you to give things to those who have nothing prepared because this is a season of blessing and it's a time to celebrate. Next verse, verse 11. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. Here it is right here. Say it. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. If there ever was a verse that carried me, that one right now is carrying me in this season of my life. And every day I wake up and my eyes pop open and I'm lying in the bed and I look up and I go, thank you for another day. Thank you for breath in my body. 
And as the songs we sang this morning in the desert, I have a reason to worship. I have a reason to sing. All of my life, whether it's sun or rain, no matter what the circumstances are, I have a reason to worship. I have a reason to give God gratitude and thanksgiving and give Him praise because the joy of the Lord is a person. Come on, somebody. Everybody say His name is Jesus. And so what, what they're about to see here is that the demands of the law which come on us and wait, He says, no, 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 wait a minute because the joy of the Lord comes when you recognize grace, God's ability to do what you cannot do yourself. Remember? Because work that is finished well produces a celebration that recognizes God's empowering grace to do the work in the first place. They're responding the way everybody ought to. They're weeping, but yet all the leaders stand up and say, no, 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 don't weep, don't mourn, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm in the bed, and I say, God, thank you for breath. Thank you for another day. And I say these words every morning. I choose joy. I choose joy today. I choose joy when I don't even want to get out of bed and I want to pull the covers up over my head and I go, God, is there a reason to live today? Yes, I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. God, I choose joy. Look at your neighbor and say, choose joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Read on, let's get this one finished. And the Levites too quieted the people telling them, hush, don't weep for this is a sacred day. It's a holy day. Now, this, this is a whole different picture that I want you to grab hold of. A biblical view of holiness isn't all about walking around being sad and somber and, and just dejected. What, where do we get that idea that that's what holiness is about? Holiness, basically God says, this is the picture of holiness. I, I've set aside this day as a sacred day for rejoicing. Now to be holy on this day, you better get excited. There's something to dance about. There's something to get the groove on about. Come on, there's something to be excited about. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't be sad. Come on, wipe that look off your face. Smile. Somebody said it increases your face value. It's amazing how when you start to do that, you start to take action, you choose. Choosing joy isn't just say, I choose joy. Choosing joy is acting joyful. And it's amazing how you, you know, even when you don't feel like it, you can faith it. I didn't say fake it. I said you can faith it till you make it. You believe, you trust. Look at this. He says, you've been sharing your gifts of food. When they went their way to drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food and celebrate with, everybody say, great joy. And here's the important word. Everybody said, because, because they had heard God's words and they understood them. Every Sunday here, it's all about engaging people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. If I can make Jesus bigger in your eyes, your life will transform. He will change you. You can't be the same because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, so they, they heard the words of God and they understood them. Joy is a person. Joy is a person. His name is Jesus. Do you have a relationship with him this morning? Hallelujah. Finally, number three, and we're finished. Keep the feast. Because they began to recognize, they read, and we're almost finished, last few verses here. Keep the feast. What does this mean? Well, quit weeping. Everybody in the room is a sinner. Let's just get it at face value. Let's quit playing these religious games. And acting like, you know, some of us are, are better than others. And, and, and everybody realized the response is to weep because we're all broken under the weight of the law of God. But don't. Stop. 
Stop. Because grace comes, the joy of the Lord. He's a person. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He's going to empower you to, to be and do what you cannot do by yourself. You don't have the ability. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. His favor, the merit, the worth of God. He says, on October 9th, the family leaders of all the people, together with the priests and Levites, met with Ezra, the scribe, to go over the law in greater detail. So they're digging in. They, they're not just preaching, but they got a Bible study going on, okay? He says, as they studied the law, they discovered that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in shelters during the festival to be held that month. Everybody say tents. Now, I, I don't know about you. I, you know, tents are great when you're about 20-something. Uh, and I'll go hang out with guys that are sleeping in tents, but I'm going to rent a cabin. I, I don't know. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, if it were a commandment of God, I definitely would probably find a, find a way to get, to, to get out in a tent for a while. This is what's happening. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's in the harvest month of the year. It's October. So all the crops are starting to come in, and it's a great season of ingathering. Tabernacles speaks of the time in the end of the ages when God will gather all the souls of mankind over history who have come into the kingdom of God. All the wheat is gathered into the barn. The tares are gathered into bundles and burned. You know the parable of Jesus. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a time of celebration. The harvest is, man, here comes the income. We're working hard. We're, 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 we're doing double shifts. We're thrusting in the sickle. We're seeing great, great potential is, is all of a sudden turned into real fruit. We've worked hard. We've, we, we, we've seen the fruit of our labors of, uh, of, 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 of planting, of watering, of, uh, of fertilizing, of all the, the cultivating that we've done. All of a sudden, here come the crops. And so uh, Tabernacles is about a season of celebration at what God has done. So here we go. Verse 15, he had said that a proclamation should be made through their towns and in Jerusalem, telling the people to go to the hills to get branches from olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees. So they start cutting down trees all over the place, and they're building brush arbors. I, my grandfather talked about having church under a brush arbor. He got saved in the 1920s. He was a musician, played the fiddle, the mandolin. He... Uh, called it the Square Dances, which is basically the DJ for the disco now. Not the disco, but the, the party. And so Granddad did all that kind of stuff, and he's calling the dances, and he's fiddling, and he's picking the mandolin. And uh, he, he, he liked to drink pretty, pretty well. Now, this is just a story that I've been told, obviously, was not even a glimmer in my daddy's eye yet at this point. And uh, Granddad got saved, radically saved, transformed. Got saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, Became a member of the dear old church of God. It's the way they would stand and testify on Wednesday night. When he was a little boy in Marktree, Arkansas, before they built the church, they would have service under brush arbors. So this was the kind of, kind of an environment, an atmosphere. Now, you know, a lot of folk in town go into really nice, fine churches, but these were folk that were hungry for God and were looking for something more. And so they kind of went outside the city and they threw up these little brush arbors, these shelters, kind of like tents, sort of like dwellings, okay? And it says they, would, they were to use these branches to make shelters in which they would live during the festival as prescribed in the law. So the people went out and cut branches and used them to build shelters on the roofs of their houses, in their courtyards, in the courtyards of God's temple, or the squares just inside the water gate and the Ephraim gate. Ephraim means double portion. So you got the word coming in the water gate, washed by the water of the word, 
and you're hanging out here in a, in a, in a season of double portion because it's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's in gathering. It's the blessing of God that's being poured out on the people. One last verse. So everyone who had returned from captivity lived in these shelters during the festival. They were all what? Filled with great joy. Now, I want to tell you, there's, there's something about getting together with people outside of your day-to-day regular routine. Now, now, some folk didn't go way outside the city. They just went up and built a shelter on top of their roof. Now, I mean, that takes some dedication to get up out of a comfortable bed and go lay on a hard one just to celebrate during a festival. But it was a season where God had proclaimed, let all the people come together and do this as one. Because it was basically acknowledging the blessing of God has come and now God has come down to dwell among His people. Tabernacles is all about God dwelling with His people. Now, we long for the day at the end of history when all the souls will be gathered in and we'll see Jesus face to face. But I want to tell you that right now, personally, you have the opportunity to enjoy a Feast of Tabernacles in your life where God comes and dwells on the inside of your heart in this tent and He makes it His temple. Okay, And so as they did all of this in obedience as a picture of what was going to be fulfilled in the New Testament, it says they were filled with great joy. Look at this. The Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. Wow. So they'd gone centuries without giving the glory and the praise to God that was due His name. One last verse and we're finished. Ezra read from the book of the law on each of the seven days of the festival. Then on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly as was required by the law. Now, that opens up into the next chapter and Pastor Chip will be here next Sunday. He'll be talking to you about the covenant that they cut. It's the feast day of atonement. It's the holiest day of the year. It's the day when the high priest goes in and the sacrifice is made for the sins of all of the nation of Israel. It's a picture of when Jesus died on the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. But on this time, today, in this chapter that we're in, he's saying, let it be a time of celebration. But I'm going to tell you, the beauty of this is that we look back. We don't look forward to a a time when that's yet to be fulfilled. We look back to the fulfillment of the cross. And because it's a finished work, we can celebrate. Every day in your life can be a celebration of what Christ has already won in terms of victory. Come on, put your hands together. Every day in your life should be an offering of thanksgiving, an offering of gratitude, an offering of praise to God and His goodness for you because as we build a culture that honors the Lord, as we remember the source of our strength, which is joy, not just an emotive feeling, but joy as a person and His name is Jesus. Then the Bible says, now keep the feast, celebrate Just live out of an attitude of gratitude. Live out of of, of an overflowing generosity. Leave this place today filled. But you've been eating the fat and drinking the sweet in this place. There are people you're going to meet today in the restaurant where you go eat, in the community this week, that have nothing prepared. Now, send portions. Take what you have and say, look what the Lord has done in my life. Because you are a Nehemiah. You are a city changer. You're a culture changer. But the only way you can do that is to be so full of the Spirit of the Lord, the ideas that God has given you, and you get up and follow through because you realize that work that is finished well 
produces a celebration that recognizes that it's God's empowering grace that gave us the, the ability to do the work in the first place. Christ's work is a finished work. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for celebration.